Hi, everyone. This is David Cohen, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Brad Feld. And this is the Give First podcast. And in the startup world, Give First means simply trying to help anyone, especially entrepreneurs, without any expectation of getting anything back. So we'll be talking to mentors and founders about what Give First looks like in action and how it makes great entrepreneurship possible. We polled everyone and they said consistently that their favorite part of the show was the legal mumbo jumbo. So here it is. The following discussion is an expression of personal opinion and does not represent the opinion of Techstars or any company we discuss. Our conversations for informational purposes only, including any mention of securities or funds. This is not legal business investment or tax advice and is not intended for use by any investor. Certain of Techstars funds own or may own in the future securities and some of the companies discussed in this podcast. Got it? Hey everyone, welcome to the next episode of Give First. We have an excellent guest today. Her name is Janet Bannister. Janet is a partner with Real Ventures. She's been entrepreneuring since a teenager, I believe, and has boundless energy to focus on things that build and shape companies. Real Ventures is a firm that she joined in 2014. She's led investments in a dozen or more companies, works very actively with them to help accelerate growth and create meaningful impact in Canada. Janet's experience as a founder and her work with industry leaders like Procter & Gamble, McKinsey & Company, and eBay have given her great insight and practical knowledge, which she shares to the teams in which she helps and mentors. And Janet was also at eBay, helped transform it from a collectibles company to a mainstream marketplace, launched and grew Kijiji into one of the most visited websites in Canada. And today, Janet, I think you work primarily with entrepreneurs and consumer-facing businesses, marketplaces, e-commerce, and fintech. If I got all that right, let us know. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, David. It's terrific to be here. Well, I know that you know we've worked together a lot up in Canada. I think that obviously your impact is felt much beyond that. We hear your name a lot uh, all over the, the U.S. as well. I'd love to learn a little bit about the story of how you actually came to join Real Ventures and what was it about that culture there that attracted you? Absolutely. Well, as I said, first of all, thanks again for having me on the show. So it's interesting. You know, I had never thought about going into a career in venture, just had never crossed my mind. And in early 2014, I was approached by JS, who is one of the founding partners of Real Ventures. And he said, hey, you know, we're looking to hire a partner in Toronto. Would you be interested? We're looking for somebody with your background. And my initial reaction was, Like, are you kidding me? Why would I go into venture capital? Like, isn't venture capital all about grinding the entrepreneurs down? Isn't it all about just being really tough in negotiations and being hard on people? So I immediately thought, well, there's no way I would go into VC. But um, anyways, I was sort of intrigued enough um, with the concept that I thought, well, you know, and I actually originally turned down Real Ventures. But then, as I said, I was sort of intrigued. And so I started talking to some people and started spending more time with entrepreneurs in the Toronto ecosystem and also learning about Real Ventures. And what I discovered was actually the best venture capitalists are not those people who view the entrepreneurs as people who need to be driven harder and pushed around, but instead view the entrepreneurs as the heroes and people who can be supported and helped. And similarly, the best firms 
including Real Ventures, are really there with a larger mission. And that mission involves helping the next generation of entrepreneurs and building entrepreneurial ecosystems. And that actually really excited me. And when I thought about my background, you know, my background really consists of a combination of both consulting roles as well as operating roles. And while I have loved being an operator, learned a ton, built some great businesses, worked with some amazing people, what I want to do at this stage of my life is really work more on sort of a consulting, mentoring, advising role. I find that in that capacity, I I get, frankly, a lot more personal satisfaction in helping people realize their aspirations. So as I thought about that and thought about, well, what types of people do I want to work with? Well, I love working with entrepreneurs. I love their passion, their determination, the fact that they are going all in on something that they believe. And I thought, geez, if I can be in a place and have a role where my you know, where really my job revolves around helping entrepreneurs and doing so in a consulting, advising, mentoring capacity, where really my mandate is to help entrepreneurs be more successful. I thought, what could be better? And so five years ago, I joined Real Ventures. And I will say, honestly, I have never been happier in my career. I absolutely love my work. I love the people who I work with. And I feel absolutely privileged to get to do what I do. Awesome. Incredible story. I I think that I talked to JS, for those that may not know, that's John Stokes, I assume, about this podcast, told him I was going to be doing it. And I spoke to Sunil and and several founders that you've worked with. And everybody, like consistently, they mentioned two things to me, Janet. We'll save one for later, which is your calendar. We got to hear about your calendar. Oh, no. (laughs) But the the one that they, they consistently mentioned also was just this energy that you have. They, they all are just amazed by the, the motor that you have to be able to do this. <laughs> and they want to know, where does that come from? So I told them I'd ask. Oh, okay. Well, you're right. A lot of people do say I have a lot of energy. And I think it comes from twofold. First of all, something that I've just touched on, I absolutely love what I do. And so as a result, I get a huge amount of energy from the people that I work with, from the opportunity to do what I do. I'm just so, you know, energized by the people I work with. I'm so passionate about what I do that that naturally gives me energy. I think the other part and what I often will talk to founders about is just, you know, being physically fit. So I was a competitive athlete growing up. I was a long distance runner. I then got into triathlons, um, was on the national triathlon team for three years. And I still, you know, get up sort of between 4.30 and 5 every morning, exercise for an hour or so, and that gives me a lot of energy. And if I think that being physically fit is incredibly important for everybody, but particularly for entrepreneurs. And so, as I said, it's something that I will often talk, or I will often mention when I'm talking to big groups, is the importance of the importance for everybody, but particularly for entrepreneurs to take care of their health. And it's only by having your health, by ensuring that you're getting enough sleep, getting exercise, eating properly, that you're going to have the energy and the stamina to do what is required. I was hoping you were going to give me an easy answer, like drink a lot of Red Bull. Oh. Um, that sounds like a tougher, <laughs> it's a bigger challenge. 
you know, I do find, I, I did change about, you know, I don't know, five years ago, six years ago, I decided I'm, I'm going to get more sleep, you know, and I was, I was one that used to be proud of staying up late at night and, you know, getting a lot of work done. And, and now I've gone to this, you know, consistent seven and a half to eight and a half hours. And I actually find I do have a lot more energy. Uh, it's pretty amazing. So sleep's a big part of that too, I think. Yes, absolutely. And you know what? I sort of view my, I think, you know, like a lot of people, I mean, you know, I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this podcast think, geez, I could work 24 hours a day. And I think that there will always be unlimited work to do. And so the way I manage my schedule is I sort of, in terms of my 24-hour schedule, is I just sort of have time, you know, in my schedule to get, I try for eight hours every night of sleep and then getting up early and exercising. And those are sort of, I mean, with the odd exception, those blocks are not movable. They're not flexible. They're not negotiable. It's something, it's just something that I do. And, you know, a lot of people will say to me, well, how do you motivate yourself to get out of bed and exercise? And for me, what I find is I just don't question it. It's sort of like I, I said to somebody the other day, I said, you know, it's like, you wouldn't think about just rolling out of bed and showing up to work in your pajamas and like taking that extra time and not bothering to change, right? It's like, and to me, it's the same thing. It's like, it's a non-negotiable. Of course, I'm going to get up and of course, I'm going to exercise before I go in because that's just like part of my day. And I, it's just, it's just who I am. It's what I do. It's part of my routine. So it makes it work when you can make it something you do every day, it becomes a habit, right? Yeah. So you mentioned those blocks are immovable. That was the other comment I got a lot from people that I talked to. You know, we, we always ask people, what should we talk to Janet about? And it was talk to her about her calendar. You know, she, it's like a game of Tetris. It's amazing. It's like this, you know, 10 minute blocks and she's so giving and she'll meet with anybody and spend time. And they want to know, you know, does that work? Can I, can I do that in my life and be as efficient? Like how does your calendar work? So, yeah, I don't know, frankly, if I've got all the answers, I do have, I do, but generally speaking, I am back to back. I am, and I don't know if I'm the best role model on this because I struggle, but yes, I am very efficient. I think that it is one thing that I learned from a young age because I was always involved in a lot of things when I was growing up and at university, including, you know, trying to do well in academics, sports, leadership roles, et cetera. And so, I think I'm very efficient. I tend to my in a short story. My schedule is generally booked back to back. I have a, a 14 year old son. Often I'll drop him off at school, and then I have a call booked in my car from the time when driving down to the office, and then when, from when I get into the office to when I leave, I'm back to back. And then on the way home, I usually have a call booked. So as I said, I don't know if that's best practices. It what it is, what I do to try to fit things in. I will say that it is a struggle because I like to be available. And I know that, you know, I hear feedback from people who say, Janet, you know, you are so accessible to the community and you are so available. And that I think that, frankly, I think that that's important. I think it's important for our brand, but even more importantly, I think that it's important. It's important for entrepreneurs to have access to different people. The reality is, and if you want, I can tell you the story, but I mean, I ended up really moving from moving from the East Coast to California and joining eBay because Bob Cagle, who was a, a partner at Benchmark Venture Capital Firm, he took 15 minutes to meet with me when I wanted to move 
move to California and join a tech company. And so I've never forgotten that. And I always like to give back, even if it's not going to help me directly. That being said, there is a breaking point where, and I'm learning this now, and I'm, I sometimes struggle with it, where I can't meet with everybody because at some point it gets to the, you know, it gets to be a tipping point and you can't be as effective in the meetings that you do have if you are trying to satisfy everybody's demands on your time. And so I think it's something that, as I said, I do struggle with. I try to make time for everybody, but at the same time, I'm wrestling with, okay, at some point I need to say no because I need to prioritize the companies that we have invested in and make sure that I have enough time to spend with them and to think deeply about their businesses. Yeah, it's funny. I was going to ask you because John had had mentioned to me that, you know, I, I told him this was the Give First podcast. He said, you know, we founded our firm with the give notion, right? Not give first, just give, give all the time uh, as opposed to being first. And I said, How, doesn't that break down at some point? You know, Adam Grant in his book, you know, Give and Take talks a lot about, you know, there are some people that you give to that, that never give back to anyone or anything in the system. And at some point, you have to figure out how to manage that time because it's not unlimited. So it is a challenge when you are so open and giving and willing to take a meeting with anybody to make sure that it's actually productive for your agenda as well. Yes, I do find, you know, what helps me is when I give, I never expect anything back. I don't even expect a thank you. And I think that, you know, I have heard some people get almost resentful, like, you know what, I met with that person and they didn't do anything or I didn't get a thank you or, and I, I don't know, my attitude is, you know, I just give because I sincerely care about people and I want to help them. I want to see other people succeed and I don't expect anything back. And I think for me, anyways, that sort of helps my peace of mind because I do it very much from the feeling of, I genuinely get a huge amount of satisfaction from helping other people and if I can help people, that is amazing. And I have had several cases where, you know, I'm at an event or I'm, you know, somewhere walking down the street or whatever, and I, and I meet somebody and they'll come up to me and they'll say, you know what, Janet, you took 15 minutes two years ago and you gave me this advice to do X, Y, Z. And I've done that and my business has turned around. Or I met somebody actually just last week who said, Janet, I heard you speak three years ago and you completely, you motivated me that I could start my own business. I actually, you know, you mentioned I was a, started my own, as a teenage entrepreneur, I started my own business when I was 14 years old. And he said, you know what? I thought if she can do it, I can do it. And he told me about his business that he then started six months later and how it had gone on. And I just feel like I don't need anything else. Like that's all I need to make my day and make me feel that I'm doing things that are worthwhile. Isn't that the coolest when you are giving or you're, you, you have no expectation of getting anything back. And so there's no way you're going to be disappointed, right? Exactly. If they don't say thank you or they don't, you know, give something back in the future. But then years later, someone says, you know, you did that and it really helped me. That, that's the payoff. And it, it, it begins to happen all the time when you have a rhythm of that in your life. Exactly. And you know what else I find is I do get, I learn from every interaction. I think that so much of the venture business of entrepreneurial is of the building a business. It's all about making connections. And I find that I learn from every interaction and then I make connections. So I might sit down for 15 minutes and somebody tells me about a business that I didn't even know. And I didn't even exist, no existed or an industry that I did. And, you know, and then I help them, maybe I'll introduce them to a couple people that might be helpful to them. But now I've learned about a business and maybe 
six months later, I'm going to hear something else about that business. Or maybe I'll take an idea from what, how, how that industry works. And I'll be talking to one of my entrepreneurs a week later and I'll say, you know, that other industry operates this way. And now if we twist that a little bit, maybe we could do that in this company. And so I just find these connections, you know, every piece of information, every, I think, let me just say, I think that every time you meet somebody, if you're open and curious, you're going to learn something and everything that you learn can somehow be applied to make you better in your next meeting. Super well said. I want to take it back to your communities that you mentioned earlier, you know, in Canada, Toronto, Montreal, Waterloo. And many people may not know the story of, of how real uh, you and your partners were, were very instrumental in helping tech stars enter uh, the Canadian market. You had been involved in many other things there still are, you know, from Commutatech to Mars to at that time founder Fuel. And really, you know, worked to help bring tech stars to the community, first in Toronto, but, but also in Montreal. And in my mind, you know, very instrumental in sort of making it work well and contributing so much time and energy to it. How did you think about that, you know, bringing in this sort of U.S. Uh, brand into the communities that you operate in? And wh- why did you put so much energy into that? Absolutely. So it's interesting. As you mentioned, Real Ventures started 12 years ago. And it started, we just raised a $5 million fund at the beginning. And then a few years later, raised a $50 million fund. And so when that happened, Real Ventures, so again, that was about 10 years ago, Real Ventures started an accelerator called Founder Fuel in Montreal. And that accelerator continues to date. And that really the team founded, so that was before my time, but really Real Ventures founded Founder Fuel because they wanted to build the entrepreneurial ecosystem. At that time, Montreal did not have much of an entrepreneurial ecosystem. And they thought, you know, if we're going to be successful, we need to make this community successful. We will only be as successful as the ecosystems in which we operate. And so hence, they started that. When I joined Real Ventures five years ago, I was the first partner hired in Toronto. And so one of the things that my partners encouraged me to do was, hey, think about what you want to do in Toronto. Do we want to launch Founder Fuel in Toronto or in Waterloo? And so you know, that was something that was on my mind. And I looked at a bunch of different, you know, under, uh, different models and what's, hap- what's working in Toronto and Waterloo. And Toronto is a more developed ecosystem. And I didn't, I wasn't sure that it really made sense to launch Founder Fuel in Toronto, given the number of other programs that already existed. But then when Techstars came, and, and as, as you know, Techstars and Real Ventures, you know, have, have go back quite a while, then we immediately saw that, hey, actually, Techstars, this is what Toronto really needs. Because, you know, we view Techstars, it's not so much a U.S. accelerator or U.S. program, it is a global program. And we thought this is exactly what Canada needs. Canada needs a way for our young entrepreneurs to connect to a global audience because at Canada, you know, relatively small country, all of our founders need to be thinking globally from day one. And here is a program that we can help bring to Canada. We can bring our knowledge from running Founder Fuel. We can bring our local knowledge of the Canadian ecosystem, our networks, and Techsters can bring its perspective. It's been running these you know, programs for years. It has a great perspective on that, but very importantly, this global network, which is unique. And so we were very excited about bringing Techsters to Canada as a result. And it's been really fun to work together on it. You know, there's been some great companies that, that we've had the chance to you know, collaborate on. And 
hopefully much more in the future. Now, you mentioned Waterloo. I cannot have a conversation that uh, has anything to do with Toronto without talking about Waterloo. I went there. I've been there a couple of times, just totally blown away by what's going on there. Of course, a lot of those people are ending up in, in either the Bay Area or more and more in Toronto, hopefully, as they grow. But it, there's something special in the water there. I hope it's not in the loo. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is just incredible. I mean, it, you know, you, you feel an energy there. To me, it felt a lot like home. I felt a lot like Boulder, where I live, but just, you know, very vibrant for its size, really amazing sort of what's happening in the university there. I guess I don't have a question other than what do you think of Waterloo? I think Waterloo is great. We love the Waterloo ecosystem. As you know, Waterloo is just about an hour's drive from Toronto. The Communitech, which you mentioned, is sort of the, the largest accelerator. It's um, actually, it's more than much more than an accelerator. It's a really an ecosystem hub there that facilitates the growth of companies as well as the partnership between companies and large enterprises. Uh, they have about a thousand companies that are in the Communitech network, all based in Kitchener-Waterloo. I'm on the board of Communitech. So through that, as well as through my involvement in the various programs there, have a unique view into that market. It is, as you say, it is a remarkable city. People literally come from all over the world to see, hey, what is the magic formula in Waterloo? Waterloo has more startups per capita than any other city in the world, actually. And, you know, what is what is it? I think that partly it's the University of Waterloo, which generates great engineering talent. And the fact that their engineering program has is a co-op program so that students are getting real life experience from from day one through the program. I also think partly it's the uh, community. You know, this is all about give first. And I think a very strong part of Waterloo is this give first mentality. You see it amongst the founders. You see it amongst the angels and the founders, amongst the community as a whole. Kitchen and Waterloo is actually a Mennonite community. And they, you know, and sometimes the head of Communitech talks about the fact that you know, a lot of Waterloo, it used to be a farming community where people used to come together and have these burn raising parties where in a, a full day they would, you know, community would all come together and put up a barn in one day. And he talks about, you know, this barn building community. It's the same ethos that still penetrates Waterloo and penetrates the startup ecosystem where it, they truly believe a rising tide lifts all boats and we will help each other and we will learn from each other and support each other. And so that definitely is a key part of their success. Yeah, I'm hearing what I often hear from communities that are really successful building their entrepreneurial ecosystems, you know, a couple things. One is sort of that mentality of just being willing to help others, you know, call it give first, call it give, you know, just being helpful. But also this notion of, you know, rising tide, lifting all boats. I mean, I think, you know, when I think about Communitech and I think about, you know, Founder Fuel and other things, I, I just think about more exciting things for the community uh, is better rather than thinking of it as this, you know, competitive game at the early stage. Because really, it's just trying to provide opportunities in the community for more and more entrepreneurs. So I think y'all have done a great job there of, of really living that. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. I mean, we're seeing that in Canada as a whole where, you know, people around the world now are talking about the strength of the Canadian ecosystem. And I think we are living and breathing this ecosystem, the, sorry, the flywheel of the ecosystem where, you know, great talent attracts more great talent where when you see some entrepreneurs succeeding, then I think that gives motivation to other 
entrepreneurs that, hey, if they can do it, I can do it too. It gives motivation to uh, students or and other folks, other maybe people who would have normally chosen to go and work for a large company. It says, hey, you know, why don't I go into entrepreneurialism? Why don't I join a startup company or start my own company? And so I just think, hey, as you say, success begets success. And the more success you have in a market, the more success you will have in the future as that from a people standpoint in terms of the talent that it generates, as well as just from a pure ambition and aspiration and self-belief. Sounds like we're on the same page. You know, you and I should probably write a book, like a startup communities book or something like that. Yeah, I uh, think so. We should pitch this. That so would, I, I, this would be a good project for us. Yeah. Except that Feld guy, he beats us to everything. I don't know. He's <laughs> already done that. But it's a good idea. That's why he did it. Yeah. Hey, before we move into rapid fire, where I'm going to ask you some quick, quick back and forth questions. I, I did want to ask about this notion that I know is important to you all at Real, this human-centered investing notion. I'd, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we view, I guess we start with the premise that technology is going to change society and technology will change every aspect of society. And so then we say, we want to make sure that we are investing in companies that change society for good. And so we think about really the human centered through two lenses. One is the types of companies that we invest in. We want to ensure that we are investing in companies that are making society better. And so that can mean everything from ensuring that people's data is used in ways that they are aware of and that are productive and that are helpful to them. It can mean things around, you know, investing in companies that make the world better, make the world safer, clean energy, things like that. But really, as I said, at the core, it's about technology transforming society in a positive way. It can mean things. We have companies, for instance, in the future of work and are thinking about, hey, how can we reskill and retrain people? So that's one aspect of human first. The other aspect of human first is you know, the first aspect really talks about, hey, what companies are doing. And then the other is about how companies are run. And so that looks at how are, is the leadership team running and managing and building their company? Are they thinking through things such as, you know, diversity, such as how do they get the best out of people? We think about the founder. Is the founder a conscious founder? And by that, I mean things such as are they self-aware? Are they transparent? Are they aware of their where they need to improve and continually trying to improve and open to feedback? So those are sort of the two aspects that we look at when we talk about human first or human centered. Super cool. Yeah, especially the, the conscious founder part. I found that investing in unconscious founders just doesn't work. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I've uh, been uh, now at this for five years and you learn a lot and one of the things I have discovered, a lot of people talk about the importance of the founder and, you know, founding teams. And I know team Techstars talks a lot about the importance of team. But then often I say, fine, there's not a whole lot written below that in the next level to say, hey, what exactly is a great founder? What exactly is a great team? And in my mind, in my experience, it's not about years of experience. It's not about whether they've worked in the industry it's, or not. It's much more about how they are as a person and how they are as a leader. For sure. 
Janet, I'd like to move to the last little segment we do. It's called Rapid Fire. I'm going to shoot a few questions at you. We're looking for yeah, 15 to 30 second kind of quick answers so we can get through them. Okay. If that's okay. And Perfect. First one is, what's your favorite city in the world that you think everybody should visit? Oh, of course. That's easy. I'd say Toronto. Not surprising. <laughs> a great book that you've read recently that maybe you want to share with people? Oh, that's good. Um, you know what? I'll talk in a speaking up. Conscious Leadership. I recently read uh, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. Great book. Excellent. Is there a charity or nonprofit that you'd urge people to check out and maybe get involved with in some way? Well, I mean, I guess I'll answer it. One charity that's very near and dear to my heart is Parkinson's Foundation. My father has Parkinson's, so that's a charity that I have been involved in and raised money for. I think more on related to startups, there's a charity in Canada called the Upside Foundation where founders give 1% of their equity, of the company equity at the in the early days to a charity of their choice. Awesome. People that are listening to this show regularly know that uh, we use this as a little way to give back for your Give First, and we'll, we'll make a donation on the Parkinson side. And I, I think we're already pretty involved in the Pledge 1% sort of stuff as well. Okay. So those are both two good ones. Great. Last question. If you could have dinner with anyone, it doesn't even have to be someone who's alive when they were alive, of course. Who, who would it be? What would you be trying to talk to them about? Oh, now that is a great question. You know, I'm going to pick, you know who comes to mind? Abraham Lincoln. You are not the first person who has said Abraham Lincoln. Oh, wow. Believe it or not. Oh, good. It's inspiring me to read more about Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Several people have said that answer. It's kind of amazing. Interesting. So go check out Abraham Lincoln. Janet Bannister, Real Ventures, thank you so much for joining us on Give First. And thanks for all you do in Canada. Thank you so much for having me. And I love working with you. Thanks a lot for listening to the show today. We'd love to hear your feedback, ideas, or who you'd like to hear next on Give First. And please leave a rating and review, ideally a good one, and reach out anytime to podcasts at techstars.com or on Twitter, I'm at David Cohen. See you next time. Don't forget, Give First.